Alrighty, well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to our Wednesday night prayer and, and devotional service here at Lakeview Baptist Church. It's uh, quite a delight and a pleasure of mine to be given such a wonderful opportunity, uh, such a, a noble, really, uh, privilege and responsibility to uh, administer the Word of God to the people of God. And uh, as, as I just reflect on my own sins in my life, and just the high uh, position that it is to do something like this, I'm just so awestruck by uh, the wonderful grace and mercy of, of our God. And uh, so with that being said, let us turn to His Word. I want to invite you to take your Bibles with me and turn to the 16th chapter of the book of Proverbs, uh, Proverbs chapter 16. And just to get things started rather bluntly, uh, we need to talk about pride. Uh, we, we need to talk about pride. Pride is such a wicked, uh, such, such a deadly sin, and, and God absolutely hates it, okay? It, it, it's an abomination to Him. You know, the Scripture says there are six things which God hates, seven that are an abomination to Him, and one of the things listed is haughty or uh, proud eyes. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 5 says, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. That, those are strong words. And, and so then the th- thing to think about, if you're a Christian person and, and you want to submit yourself to the Word of God, you want to live a God-honoring life, you, you, you read a text like that, and, and you think, if God has such a strong rage and passionate anger against pride, what well, would help us if we knew what exactly that meant? You know, talking about, you know, what is pride? Well, pride, generally speaking, as we find it uh, in the Scriptures, uh, particularly some of the, the Hebrew words that are used here, very often what is being referred to is an unwarranted level of self-exaltation, meaning someone who is lifted up in their own uh, perspective to an unwarranted degree. Pride is that sense when we feel that our persons, who we are, our personalities, our abilities, our accomplishments, etc., are are so just far above and, and beyond that of other people. The proud man is one who has a very high view of himself, and he places other people far beneath him. He not only believes he himself to be a more valuable person than others, but he also thinks that his needs and his wants are of a greater importance than the needs and wants of others. If his neighbor has his bowl filled before him, he thinks that he's been wrong. But should he have his bowl filled before his neighbors, he, he will think that it's quite all right. After all, I mean, he is him. You know, he's him, and that guy is just some other guy. And, and so, you know, due to his inflated view of self, he, he may even wonder that, you know, others don't give him the respect that he deserves. And I think probably the largest criticism that I could bring towards pride or 
just to expose pride for the wicked and, and horrible sin for which it is, would be to say that pride in its most raw and bare sense, we just strip it naked and we examine it for what it is. Pride is when a man or a woman thinks of themselves in a way in which only God should be thought of. And, and you see, one of the things that can make pride so deadly is that pride can often be a very subtle sin. It can be a very subtle sin. It creeps in undetected like that old serpent in the garden. Pride comes upon us, and, and often we, we don't even notice it. We just start to you know, get a little too high notice of ourselves. We pay a little too close attention to some of our good deeds, even some of our religious deeds, and we can begin to be impressed with ourselves. The, uh, you know, a proud person will look at their service in the church, or they will look at the different things they've done in their lives, or they will think about their own intellect, or, or, or whatever it is, and all of a sudden, a person can start to feel pretty righteous. Uh, Jesus spoke of some people like that, didn't he? Uh, on the last day, it was said that they would cry out to him and tell Jesus about all the wonderful things they did. All the wonderful, religious, righteous things that they had done. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Notice, did we not prophesy in your name? And, and did we not cast out all sorts of demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? You see, with what arrogance they speak, they think that their works were mighty. They think that they works, their works were mighty. They think they did a pretty good job at their lives. They think themselves to be so righteous that they had actually earned their way into the kingdom of heaven. And, and what does Christ say to such arrogant people? Probably the most humbling and frightening words in all of sacred scripture. He says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You see, the man who has a clearer view of God will be humbled by that. Okay? I mean, you think about, you know, the prophet Isaiah, and he, by God's grace, is given this wonderful vision of the glory of God, and it says that the glory of the Lord, you know, filled the earth, and talking about the train of his robe and all these different things, and what did Isaiah say? He said, woe is me, I, I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I am a man of an unclean people. You see, he got just a glimpse of the glory of God, and the first thing that he did with that revelation, with that information, was to realize what a pitiful, worthless wretch he was. And so because of the magnitude of the particular disorder of pride, I want us to consider a, a portion of sacred scripture here in the book of Proverbs that will, by God's grace, cause us to examine ourselves and, and would hopefully lead us to cry out to the Lord for him to humble us. So here in the 16th chapter of the book of Proverbs, I'm going to read to you verses 18 and 19. This is God's word. We read, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. So uh, let's think about verse 18 for a moment. 
Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Literally, in the original language, in the original Hebrew, it reads, before destruction, pride. Before a fall, haughty spirit. That's uh, something we need to think about. Something we need to think about. It's something that needs to sober us. This sin of pride that, that comes so natural to, uh, to us, and yet we must recognize that the end thereof is, and only is, destruction. Of the Puritan, Matthew Poole writes this comment on verse 18. He says, Pride goeth before destruction. It is commonly a cause of men's ruin because it highly provokes God and men. We have already observed from Scripture that God absolutely hates pride, that the arrogant man is an abomination to the Lord. But we can also ascertain from our own human experience the basic and undeniable reality that, generally speaking, people just tend not to really like proud people. Uh, And so this verse in Proverbs says, pride goes before destruction, or literally in the Hebrew, before destruction, pride. That is destruction, which in this sense means that the breaking, the crushing, or the termination of something is the necessary result of pride. You plug pride in, this is what happens. This is what happens. A person who has a false sense of self-exaltation, the boastful man, his end will be ruined. There is a twofold way in which this is true. Pride precedes destruction both in this life and in the life to come. One, in this life, uh, proud and, and arrogant people are often forced to deal with the consequences of their sin in this life. This is because, as uh, previously articulated by uh, Matthew Poole, pride is a provoking sin. You see, pride, it, it strikes the people around you. It, it agitates them. Proud people are often faced with you know, resentment from the other people in their lives. You know, because of his arrogance, a proud man will find himself abandoned by his friends, abandoned by his colleagues, abandoned by his family. Even his own wife and children may grow so tired of his haughtiness, so tired of his boastfulness, putting his desires before theirs, that eventually they will leave him. They will leave him. We've all heard stories of the famous celebrities who, being so highly lifted up and exalted in their fame and their fortune, just become absolutely insufferable people to associate with and end up burning many bridges and losing many loved ones. Now, what a sad thing that this is to contemplate. A man who, who thinks himself so great, so wonderful, so lovely, so important, so much greater than everyone else, Pretty soon, he's the only one he has left. Now it's time to see whether or not he was right, whether or not, you know, those other people really meant something. There is a a song lyric which uh, goes like this, uh, references a Greek um, myth. I don't know if you've heard of Narcissus, from which we get the word narcissist. Narcissus was 
a man who was so in love with himself that, you know, some versions of the story say he, he was looking at, at his own reflection in, in the pool for so long till eventually he, he drowned or he met some other kind of destruction. Well, there's a song lyric that says, Narcissists soaking wet, lost but doesn't know it yet. He has failed to see his true reality. Now he will remain a ghost, chained to what he loves most. My friend, don't let this be you. Don't let this be you. But perhaps more humbling, perhaps more striking, what we will observe is a proud man will find destruction not only in this life, but in the life to come. You see, we've already observed that pride greatly provokes and agitates and offends men, the other people around you, the people in your lives. But there is a party offended by the sin of pride whose worth, the the value of his judgment, the value of his criticism far exceeds any mere mortal. I'm speaking about the Lord God who created the heavens and the earth. I'm I'm talking about the one who is from the everlasting, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who stretched out and determined the measurements of the whole universe, who has the power of the wind and the waves in his very hand. You see, God is offended. He is repulsed by pride. And and even that is somewhat of, of an understatement. God is outraged by pride. God is furiously engulfed with flaming and fiery rage and fierce hatred and anger against the sin of pride. Now you look at what happened, for instance, in in Genesis chapter 11. Um, The humans of the earth in in their haughtiness and in their pride, the children of men, you know, they're building this this great tower in, in Babel. And uh, I actually had a, a conversation once with, with an atheist who, was, who brought this story up because he was going to, you know, wanting to mock the Bible, mock my faith. And he said, you know, this is just so silly. This is just so foolish. I mean, what? God doesn't like tall buildings? That's, that's not the point of the story. You see, the issue is with what great arrogance they are building this tower that stretches to the heavens. You know, they're saying, you know, let us make a name for ourselves. You see, that tower in Babel was nothing more than an idol signifying human pride. This tower was to be a representative about how, just, just how great the, the children of men were, and with it they would prove that there would be nothing impossible for them to do. And God is, is justly angry with this. And he, he goes and he confuses their language and disperses them all over the earth. Why does he do that? Why, why does he do that? Again, it's not because God has a problem with tall buildings. It's to show them that they are creatures and he's the creator. You see, you are made in the image of God. God is God. In the beginning, God. Not, not anyone else. And so he, he proves to them that they are just creatures. He is the creator. And with this, God demonstrates he hates pride. He hates pride. And God will not let any sin go unpunished, so he says to Moses. And so in, in Proverbs 16, verse 5, he says, Everyone who is arrogant in heart 
is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. You see, as verse 9 says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Though the proud man sees great things for himself and believes that he can accomplish much, the Lord is establishing his steps to march himself right into destruction, right into ruin, and ultimately the flaming fires of hell. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You see, God hates our pride. Take Nebuchadnezzar for an example. Daniel chapter 4, we find him walking along the rooftops of his great, grand, royal palace in Babylon. And, and, and according to historical sources, Babylon was just an absolutely gaudy demonstration of excess and wealth and luxury. The hanging gardens in Babylon are considered one of the ancient wonders of the world. And so here is, you know, the king of this great kingdom, the one dominant over this great dominion. He's strutting atop the rooftop of his royal palace, and he's saying, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? What does the text of Scripture say? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately, The word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers. And his nails were like bird's claws. We see with what great judgment Nebuchadnezzar was met with at God's hands. I want to read to you still in Daniel 4. Nebuchadnezzar's response to this event when by God's grace he is uh, given the the gift of, of sobriety and he's able to think about these things once more. He says, at the end of the days I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. You see, so great was God's holy and righteous judgment against this proud and this arrogant man that when God granted him restoration and soundness of mind, 
he uttered forth a statement that, that is one of the greatest statements in all of Scripture upon the, the, the sovereignty of God, and it's one of the most humbling things that we will ever read. He says, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. You see, now that right there is a humbling statement. That, that should kill and absolutely obliterate any ounce of pride that is remaining within us. We are creatures. We are creatures, and in respect to God, we are counted as nothing. And to the proud man or woman right now who is hearing my voice, I'll sh- I shall repeat to you once again the words of a formerly proud man until God humbled him, Nebuchadnezzar, whom the Lord brought to his knees, and he eventually said, those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. And, and what humbled Nebuchadnezzar? It was the very power of God. It was the recognition that God not only had the ability, but he had the authority to do with him whatever it is that he pleases. Now, right there, to, with uh, trying to avoid controversy, I should just like to say, I think Nebuchadnezzar in that statement had better theology than, than most of us. Most of us don't think like that. Most of us don't think that God has the right to uh, do with me as he pleased. God doesn't have the right to allow me to become sick. God doesn't have the right to uh, put me through this struggle in, in my work or my marriage or these different things. No. God does have the right to do with his creatures what he will. And, and, and you even notice the love and the mercy of God in this statement or in this particular story here. That it was through God's rod, through God's judgment, through God's discipline that Nebuchadnezzar gained sobriety. And it's the promise of Scripture that if you're a child of God, just as every good uh, father would chastise and discipline his child, so too is your heavenly Father allowed to discipline you, to restore you. And so now, as we close this uh, brief message upon the nature and the depravity and sinfulness of pride and the level to which God hates it, I should like to make one last comment in regards to the magnitude of the disorders of the current day and culture in which we live. You see, I think it can be ascertained from Scripture that there is a particular kind of pride which I believe that God hates most of all. And that is when people are proud of their own sins. Now, I don't think I'm breaking the news to you that right now is the month of June, and you know what that means. It's Pride Month, a month where people celebrate their pride over their sexual depravity, their lusts, and their sin. And now, listen, the Bible says that homosexuality, that God says homosexuality is an abomination. God also says the person who is arrogant in heart is an abomination. Same word in the Hebrew. Now, imagine the level of fury that God has when his creatures rebel against him in this way, by celebrating what they call Pride Month. Loved ones, these are dark times in which we live. And do you know what the solution is? Do do you know what the solution to all of this chaos is? I'll tell you what it is. It's Christ. 
It's Christ. As a matter of fact, the solution to all sins, pride, homosexuality, heterosexual sexual sin, transgenderism, any, any sin that you can think of, the solution is and only is the gospel of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died for sinners, and the promise of Scripture is that whosoever should call upon His name shall be what? Shall be saved. Shall be saved. Repent and believe the gospel. That, that is the message that we give to the world. We don't give any other message than that. And so in, in light of these different things, I, I would just hope that we would look at um, you know, the wickedness, the craziness in our culture, as well as the sin that is inside each of our own mortal bodies. And we, we would just pray that, that the Lord would, would humble us. We pray that God would remove all of our pride and arrogance and to help us see the glorious reality of His divine sovereignty and wonder. And we just pray that the same mercy, the same grace, which according to his own will and his own good pleasure, just as he did with Nebuchadnezzar, whatever it is that he wanted, according to his own will and his good pleasure, not because we were righteous or, any, or there is any goodness in me, but God glorified himself and pleased himself and delighted himself in my salvation and my mercy. And we just pray that God would bring that same mercy, that same grace, that same redemptive love to people all around us, the United States of America, down, down to Mexico, to, to all the ends of the earth. We pray that just as the water covers the sea, so would this world just be filled with the redemptive love of God. We pray that Jesus Christ would use his church, which is us, as a means to bring forth the message of the kingdom for his own eternal glory. Let us all with great fear and trembling Bow the knee to our great creator. Thank you. My brother will come and close us in prayer.